Mark 1, verse 40, says, Now a leper came to him, that's Jesus, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him, and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. And he strictly warned him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way. Show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. However, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places, and they came to him from every direction. And Father, we just humbly pause and ask for the grace and help of your Holy Spirit as we open the word of God and now study and work our way through another portion of the gospel of Mark, we pray that every intent behind why your spirit inspired and recorded these things originally, that today they'd find their personal place in our hearts and lives, and that, Lord, you would now speak by your spirit through what you have already spoken here in the written word of God, and we ask this expectantly in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, I think it is a wonderful thing to be able to know that no matter how bad the condition of any one of our lives may be, that Jesus is always willing to embrace us right where we are and right as things may be to offer us help according to whatever that need may be in each and every one of our own lives. And I think today's passage portrays that reality. Mark gives us here in the last part of chapter 1 another, if you would, snapshot. He's giving us these little snapshots and pictures. He moves very quickly in the Gospel of Mark. He gives us another snapshot of Jesus' ministry, showing us Jesus compassionately helping this man with a major issue in his life. It tells us in verse 40, if you glance with me back there as our text opens, now a leper came to him, imploring Jesus, kneeling down and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. So our story opens here with this man with a deep need coming to Jesus in humble desperation and inquiring if our Lord would be willing to heal and to liberate him from this very complicated condition. Leprosy, important to understand, was a horrific, incurable disease that slowly ruined lives and ultimately resulted in death. It's caused by a microbacteria that slowly and very progressively begins to deteriorate the tissue in the body, working from the inside outward. It's a disease that destroys and attacks the nervous system, causing what we call neuropathy, which is a a lack of the nervous system to function properly where pain and sensation is felt. And it particularly attacks the nervous system, destroying a person's ability to feel pain. And remember, pain 
The pain sensation is the body's early warning system that something is wrong. So if pain is not able to be felt, that becomes a very detrimental thing to a person's health. It causes horrid deterioration, leprosy does, and deformity of the skin and other body appendages. Oftentimes it begins by showing up with red swellings or ulcerated pussy sores, and then the skin and internal organs basically are rotting gradually on the person's body, whereby skin and fingernails and toenails and hair begin to rot and fall out. Gradually, the same thing happens with the fingers and the toes as they begin to rot and fall off. Facial appendages, the nose, the ears, the lips, the eyes themselves begin to deteriorate and rot and begin to become deformed and fall off as the victim of leprosy wastes away, then add on top of that the stench of rotting human flesh. As the disease progresses in people, it was a disease, particularly in the ancient culture, that was defined as death by inches because it slowly and progressively rotted away with prolonged suffering until death. Now, because leprosy destroys the nervous system and the victim loses pain sensation and loses feeling, that contributed to a lot of the problem. It basically caused the victim to become self-destructive due to being numb and having no feeling, and therefore they would constantly harm themselves and they would do ruinous things to their own body without sensing the self-harm that they were causing. Stories and reports are told of those in leper camps who have been witnessed reaching into the fire to pick up a dropped piece of food that fell into the fire and no pain sensation and just reaching directly into a fire and picking up something, burning and ruining the skin and damaging the body more. Victims as well have been known on top of that to have had the experience in leper camps with progressive leprosy to at times while they're sleeping at night have rats and varmints come in and gnaw off the fingers and the toes because they can't feel what's going on, again, contributing more to the infection and the progression of the disease. Now, add on to that, leprosy caused people to be isolated. Typically, they were quarantined in camps because of the contagion of it. So the disease caused horrible disformity, and people looked upon those who were lepers as the walking dead. And they usually were isolated and separated. And the hardest part is people treated lepers as if they had some type of a plague from God, and no one wanted to interact with them because they were repulsed by their existence. Now, in that understanding, leprosy is very much like a spiritual disease, sin. And leprosy, in just the reality of what it was as a natural disease, in very many ways pictures exactly what the spiritual disease of sin does to every one of our lives. Sin defiles a life from the inside out. Sin has the same effect in that sin is terminal. It ruins every person's life. The reason why every human being has been appointed to die is because of the entrance of sin into humanity from the Garden of Eden. God told Adam very simply, in the day you eat of this tree, you shall surely die. 
And sin brought physical death into this world, but more than that, sin also is the contributor not just to physical death, the separation of our spirit from our physical body in some way, but sin also causes spiritual death. That is separation from God eternally. And if we die in our sin, that terminal condition of sin, if we die in that without that disease of sin being in a sense, healed and resolved by the blood of Jesus Christ, cleansing it from our life, then we will be eternally separated from God in the same way the spirit is separated from the body. We will be put into a place the Bible calls the lake of fire where we will be without God's presence forever and ever in a place of torment. Sin, just like leprosy, also destroys our ability to feel things. It has a numbing effect. And the more sin is at work in someone's life, sin has kind of just this aspect of it where it causes a person to kind of sear their own conscience. And they don't even sense the error of their ways anymore. They become numb to their own destructive behaviors and they go down ruinous, self-destructive paths, right? Many of us were on those paths at one time in our life, and we were self-destructing our life and doing horrible, ruinous things to our lives, but it was sin that was numbing us to the very reality of what we were doing. And sin does have kind of this you know, sensory effect where it kind of destroys and diminishes our conscience, and it also causes isolation. Sin always causes separation. It separates us from God. Sin so many times is the cause of separation in human relationships. And just like leprosy, sin is humanly incurable. There was no cure for leprosy. And there is no cure humanly for sin. The only hope for the leper and the only hope for the terminal spiritual disease of sin is a miracle of God's help and God's intervention. That's the only resolve. Luke chapter 5, giving the record of this same story, tells us, Luke the doctor, that this man, Luke says, he was full of leprosy. And the language implies he was at the advanced or latter stages of the disease. So understand when this man, this leper came to Jesus, Luke said by this point, he was in the advanced stages of the disease. He's likely grotesque in his appearance. His body is deformed. He's deteriorated. Most would be repulsed to look upon him. There was a stench of his rotting flesh that was radiating from his body, and most would steer clear of any interaction with him. And likely this man, as would be understood, felt incredibly ashamed of his horrid condition. And in the same way others were no doubt repulsed by him, he himself being in that condition probably felt incredibly ashamed himself. But by this point in Jesus' ministry, no doubt word of the power and the miracles of our Lord is moving around the nation of Israel. And even in the isolated leper camps, this man no doubt had heard of Jesus miraculously healing diseases. He had heard of the power of Jesus to cure people from illness and disability and sickness and how many had been delivered from even demonic possession. And as he heard these stories and reports of the power of Jesus helping and changing other people's lives, his faith is stirred in the midst of an incurable, hopeless situation. And his faith is stirred and something of hope begins to arise within him, thinking, no doubt, if the Lord's power has helped 
others. And if he has changed the lives of other people, and he's done powerful miracles to resolve the condition of others, what do I have to lose in humbly going to see if perhaps Jesus and his power could change me? If somehow he could resolve my incurable condition, if he could somehow fix something that no human being has been able to help me with, and in desperation yet in faith, he now comes to Jesus understanding violating every cultural protocol and every religious ceremonial protocol, and he now humbly approaches Jesus knowing that he could never resolve his own problem. And sometimes it takes a process for people like a deteriorating leper at the latter stages to come to the place where they finally come to grips with the reality that they could never solve their own problem. And more than that, that no other person and nothing else that's out there to provide assistance is going to change or deliver or fix one's condition of defilement or deterioration. And it's at this point, when this man is at that point, it tells us here in verse 40 that this man came to Jesus. He does the thing that every human being can do, no matter what their condition is, no matter how bad or desperate our condition, every person can still do that one thing. They can come to Jesus to choose to humbly come seeking him for help. It says there in verse 40, look at it, that he came to Jesus, and look what the Bible tells us in verse 40, he came kneeling down before the Lord. The picture there is he is humbled. He's broken. He's at the end of himself. He bows down now his own will. He bows down. He casts aside all of his pride. Doesn't care what anybody thinks about him anymore. He sets aside everything within himself and he humbly comes to Jesus at this point in a broken spirit, and he submits himself, bowing his knee before the Lord, submitting himself to Jesus' authority as a ruler. And it says as he comes kneeling on the ground, it says he starts imploring Jesus. Your translation may render that begging Jesus. The idea is he is on his knees pleading with Jesus in human desperation. This is called the picture of someone who's at the end of themselves. You're completely at the end of yourself, out of options, you're done trying everything else, and you realize there is only one option left that's worthy of consideration. I am going to go to Jesus and humble myself and get on my knees before him and beg him to change me, to plead with him to help me to beseech him to have mercy upon me as a king and to give me the help that I can't bring to pass myself. And look what he asks of Jesus there in verse 40 as he comes to him. He begins pleading with him, saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Notice the man fully believes in the mighty power of what Jesus is able to do. He says to Jesus, I know you can make me clean. There was no question in his mind about that. He had heard of people who had diseases and were demonically possessed, being miraculously changed by the power of Jesus. This man knew what Jesus had the power to do. He says to him, Lord, if it aligns with your will, you can miraculously change me. 
You have power to make me clean from this condition. I believe you can if you're willing to. If you're willing to show mercy to me in this condition and you'll show me your generous help, I know you're able and that you have the power to perform this. Now, understand, in the entire Bible, in all of the nation of Israel's history, we only have the record of two people ever being healed from leprosy. One was Miriam, Moses' sister. The other was Naaman the Syrian, a Gentile man. And when they were healed and cleansed of their condition of leprosy, everyone knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that was a work of God. It had only happened two times in the history of Israel that we have record of, and all people understood only God could heal a leper and spare them from that death and that disease. So this man acknowledging Jesus, I know that you can cleanse me from this condition of leprosy was akin to him saying to Jesus, I know you have the power of God in your life. I know that you can do what only all of us know God can do, and I'm asking that you would do that. And notice also, if you would there in verse 40, that he asked Jesus, he doesn't say to heal me, but he says, you can make me clean. He doesn't ask to be healed, but he asked to be made clean cleansed to be made whole. I think this leper knew that he needed more than just healing from his physical suffering, that he needed to be completely cleansed from the Lord. In every sense of the word, his whole life eradicated from every form of defilement, and he wanted a clean start, a brand new beginning to be liberated from everything within him, even beyond the leprosy that was defiled in his life. And by way of application, his spiritual lepers plagued with the disease of sin that we've been infected with, that's exactly what we all need too. We need to be cleansed by Jesus, not just to be healed from some of our personal struggles, not just to be healed from some of our emotional issues, not just to be liberated maybe from some mental struggle or personality dysfunction that we suffer with. We need to be totally cleansed and eradicated and made whole by the power of Jesus and the blood of Jesus Christ. Typically, all the things that we're dealing with, that we're suffering and struggling with as human beings, usually they are always just the symptomatic indicators of the core issue, which is that we're broken, sinful, depraved people. And our broken, sinful, depraved condition causes us to manifest that in all kinds of other symptomatic ways. And often we focus on the symptoms and we're missing the whole core issue. Much like if you had a horrible headache this morning and you took a Motrin and you started rubbing it on your forehead. Would it fix the problem? No, you've got to get that Motrin inside of you and into your bloodstream so that it has an internal effect to then diminish the symptom. If you were sick and had some degree of infection, if you take an antibiotic, again, and you rub it on your, it's not going to solve the issue. You need that antibiotic to go in to deal with the infection. And to deal with the infection, it then diminishes and eradicates the symptoms as well. And look, sadly, so many people are utilizing even religious activity and religious routines and religious rituals and habits in their life, and they're thinking that those religious things are going to resolve the issue of their sin. And it doesn't. It doesn't. 
It doesn't anymore. I said I was going to use this illustration, and I'm going to this morning now. It doesn't any more than when you take deodorant and put it in your armpit. It just hides the stink temporarily. But that stench is coming back. And religion's a lot like deodorant. It's just trying to cover up the problem. It doesn't cleanse the problem. It doesn't eradicate the problem. We need the power of the blood of Jesus Christ, who is the only one who can cleanse us from the core issue, which is that we're sinful, defiled people, that we have a spiritual disease. We're infected. We need a supernatural cleansing. 1 John 1.7 says it this way, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Revelation 1 says to believers in Christ, it is Jesus who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. This man said, Lord, don't heal me. Cleanse me. Cleanse me. Completely wash me. Make me brand new. And as this man comes in humble desperation, pleading, believing Jesus can help him, what a beautiful picture. Look how our Lord responds to him. Verse 41, then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. What a beautiful picture. How encouraging to see the way our Lord responds to this needy man in desperation. He stirred with concern. He connects with him directly. And then he assures him that he indeed will be cleansed. Notice the first thing we're told of Jesus' response there in verse 41. It says, Jesus, his response, he was moved with compassion. That reveals how Jesus in his love and mercy is stirred with great concern for this man's condition. When this man came pleading with Jesus humbly, it moved the heart of our Lord. Compassion is defined as sympathetic pity and concern for the suffering or misfortune of another. And it says that Jesus, when he saw this man coming with his condition in his suffering, knowing this man could not fix his own problem, as Jesus saw this and this man began to plead, Lord, please help me in this condition. I don't know what else to do. I'm humbling myself before you. It says Jesus was moved. He was stirred within with compassion. He felt pity for this man. And in love and concern, he wanted to do what he could to help. The scene reveals to us the heart and the nature of Jesus whenever we or anyone comes to him, begging him for his help. He is stirred and moved with great compassion towards us. Secondly, notice also, after it says Jesus is moved with compassion, verse 41 says he did what? Stretched out his hand and touched him. Now, again, can I remind you, no one would ever get near a leper, let alone touch a leper. Because to get near or worse, to touch a leper due to the risk of contracting the disease, no one would do that. Due to the concern, if you touched a leper, you became ceremonially defiled and you could not go to the temple. And then add on top of that, most people were just repulsed and disgusted by the grotesque appearance and odor of a leper, so they would do nothing at all to have any contact with them whatsoever. But yet, please notice, it says, the Bible tells us that Jesus stretched out his hand and touched this man. Now, my point bringing that up to you is to remind you, Jesus could have healed this man without touching him. He could have just spoke the word. 
and the disease would have left him. He had the authority to do that. At other times, Jesus would just speak and people would be healed. He was God. So Jesus did not have to touch him, but Jesus purposely touched him in compassion, in gentle care and love to show tenderness to this man's miserable heartache and difficult condition. And Jesus purposely connects with him in a very personal way through the channel of loving human touch, knowing that that simple sign of affection and touch had, would have great impact. This man may not have been touched by another human being for years. And Jesus chooses to make direct contact with him and to touch him. Look, today, let me encourage you to say that whatever condition your life is in, you don't ever have to be ashamed coming to Jesus. You can come directly to Jesus no matter what condition your life is in. And I tell you this, you will not gross Jesus out. He will not reject you. Jesus will extend his hand mercifully towards you in tenderness, and he will become directly involved in your life in a very personal way and tenderly help to resolve whatever the issue may be that you bring to him in your life. And can we just remind ourselves too, as Christians, those of us who know the Lord this morning and who represent Jesus, to ask ourselves on occasion, are we willing to connect with people in a personal, tender way, no matter what their condition? And are we willing to make direct contact and become personally involved and be affectionate and caring with people? That makes a huge difference especially when people are in very difficult situations or they're maybe very ashamed of where their life may be that we're willing to step in and to reach forth a hand to touch compassionately. And then Jesus' words to him, he says to him, I am willing. In other words, you asked if I'm willing, let me assure you, I'm completely willing to help you. There's no hesitation. Jesus says, I want to help you. I'm willing to get involved in your life. And he answers this man's pleading. And again, perhaps in some ways we may struggle and shame or doubt from time to time. And, and I think sometimes we can all wrestle with this. We, we know the Lord's able. I know he has power to help me, I, 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 but I'm so ashamed. I'm embarrassed to even come to the Lord. I'm embarrassed that I'm in this condition. And I think sometimes, sadly, people need to understand that Jesus not only is able to help, he's more than willing to help. He wants to help. He says, I am willing. John chapter 6, Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. That's the heart of Jesus. Maybe you need to hear that this morning. Maybe you're wondering, is the Lord willing? He would say to you, I am willing. I'm willing. I won't drive you away. Maybe others have driven you away, but I won't drive you away. He says to this man, I am willing. And then he assures him, be cleansed. In other words, the miraculous cleansing of Jesus, he assures it is going to happen in this man's life. And look, folks, only Jesus by his mighty power has the ability to pronounce and promise something like that. To pronounce to someone, you are clean. You're healed. Your condition is removed. Your situation is resolved. No matter how defiled, how damaged, how far the situation has progressed. This man was at the latter stages. And no matter how long you've been in that condition, again, John chapter 5, Jesus healed a man who had been in a paralyzed condition for 38 years. 
That's four decades. He'd been in the same condition. Nobody could ever help him. And Jesus said to him, do you want to be made well? And the first thing he did, well, every time I tried to, and uh, he started making excuses. Maybe he had lost hope because it had been four decades in the same condition. And Jesus said to him, pick up your mat and walk. And he promised that instantaneously healing could come. And we need to remember it in our lives that Jesus alone has the power to pronounce such a thing. And look, what a wonderful thing for this man to hear, I am willing to be cleansed. And you know what? If I can take that again and apply that to the spiritual leprosy in all of our lives, how wonderful to know that Jesus, because of what he did in his suffering and death upon the cross, as our sinless substitute as the Son of God, and the suffering of his life dying and his blood being poured out on the cross and his resurrection, that Jesus can say to every sinful soul that comes to him humbly pleading to be cleansed, you are clean. You're clean. Your sins are forgiven you. You've been completely washed, completely changed. The stain has been removed. Look what happens, verse 42. As soon as Jesus had spoken... You see that word Mark uses? Immediately, the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. Notice how fast did it happen? Immediately. Instantaneously. Instantaneously, the authority and the power of the Lord brought not gradual change, but instantaneous, immediate change in this man's life how strong the power of our Lord is. You know, often we think, oh, well, I can change, but there's going to involve this and this and this and maybe a progressive thing for you. I don't know the Lord's will, but I can tell you by firsthand testimony of some experiences in my life and certainly the testimony of some of you and others I know. I know people who all Jesus needed to do was speak the word. And when they came pleading in humble, sincere faith, believing Jesus I believe you have miraculous power to change people. And Jesus immediately changed their lives. He immediately eradicated a problem in their life. And let's not diminish the fact that our Lord can do that. And folks, how wonderful to know as we read verse 42, how that speaks of our own sin and the leprous condition of our lives. We might read that immediately his sin left him and he was cleansed. Do you realize the day that you humbly came to Jesus and asked him to save you? Immediately that day, your sin left you. It left you. All of your guilt and failures and mistakes, it left you. As far as the east is from the west, you were cleansed and made brand new. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away, all things become new, the Bible says. Well, look as Jesus advises this man now, verse 43, he strictly warned him and sent him away at once and said, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way. Show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. So Jesus instructs this healed man now to follow two directives. He gives him two directives there in verse 44 in responsive obedience to what he had just done in his life. He first of all asks him not to do something. He asks him not to do something in verse 44. He says, see that you say nothing to anyone. Now, despite this man's human reasoning that why would I not want to spread this news everywhere? 
I'm the third guy in Israel that just got healed from leprosy. The power of Jesus just changed my life. The Lord had a reason and purpose for asking him not to tell anyone at first. Two things are obvious. One, it would violate the order of what Jesus determined should be done first as a top priority, which is to, as he's going to tell him in the next sentence, to adhere to the word of God, according to Leviticus 14, and to go show yourself to the priest to be verified that you're cleansed and to offer the ceremonial offerings for a cleansed leper to give testimony to the priests of the miracle of God. And secondly, Jesus did not want him at first to go and spread the news because it would prematurely stir up enthusiasm among the crowds as this great miracle had happened, and it would interrupt Jesus' plan and interfere with the timetable of Jesus doing ministry according to his pace and his way. And so Jesus specifically tells this man not to do something. And look, when our Lord tells us not to do something and to refrain from doing something that we think doesn't make sense and that we should do it, even though he told us not to do it, it's very important for us to realize Jesus always has a reason if he asks me and you not to do something. We should understand he has a reason for that. If he told me not to do it, I may not know, and in my lot of logical mind, I may think, he couldn't have meant that. Maybe that was a suggestion. No, if he told me not to do something, I should trust him. He has a reason for asking us not to do things. And then, of course, in the second half of verse 44, Jesus instructs the leper what to do. He tells him there to go show himself to the priest who would evaluate a cleansed leper, according to Leviticus 13 and 14, and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. So again, there was Leviticus 14, this ceremonial process that if someone was cleansed of leprosy, they were to go through this spiritual cleansing, but that had a higher purpose because when you read Leviticus 14, you can see how the cleansing of the leper between the cleansed leper and the priest spoke incredibly symbolically of the work of Jesus Christ and how he is our great high priest, cleanses us from sin. And Jesus said, I want you to go do this so that it will be a testimony to the priest. A testimony of what? Of the power of God so that even the religious leaders and the priests would have to take another look at the reality, maybe this Jesus is the Messiah. And Jesus loved the religious people. And Jesus cared about their souls. And Jesus was greatly concerned that whether it was the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the priests in that day, as many of them were blinded by the religiosity and all the religious traditions, and they weren't realizing they needed a relationship with God and that Jesus was God. And Jesus said, listen, I don't want to miss the opportunity to give a testimony if it could save the soul of one of the priests and the religious leaders. So Jesus had a purpose, again, for sending this man. Interesting. Jesus, again, always has purposes for why he directs us to do what he also tells us to do. He has a reason why he tells me not to do things, but he also has a reason when he tells me to do something. I don't want to go see the priest. What do I need to see the priest for? You just healed me. Jesus had a reason. Jesus' reason was, I want him to be astonished, and I want to see that particular priest get saved. Maybe he'll get saved, Jesus was thinking. 
Maybe he'll realize I'm the Savior. It is interesting, too, to notice the first thing Jesus advises this man who had a changed life to do in response of gratitude was to do what? Basically, it was to go obey the word of God. To go obey the word of God, Leviticus 14. And can I say by way of application, I think that is one of the primary things Jesus wants all of us to do once he's changed our lives. We want to show him our gratitude. Jesus said, if you love me, what? Obey my commandments. As we obey Jesus and obey the word of God, we display love for him. Well, verse 45, look how our passage concludes. It says, however, he went out, this man, to proclaim it freely and spread the matter. You know, some point out here, isn't it interesting? Jesus tells us to go into all the world and preach the gospel, and we don't. He tells this man, do not tell anybody what I did for you, and he goes and tells everybody. Take that for what it's worth. He begins to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city. Now, look, here's the problem. But then he was outside in deserted places, but they came to him from every direction. So sadly, this man did not obey what our Lord instructed him to do. And notice it caused complications to Jesus' ministry work. Perhaps he was thinking again, I've got to share this news. This is great power. I know tons of other lepers. He could transform their lives too. And maybe Jesus is just trying to be humble. He needs help with his PR department. I got to get out there and tell people and get this ministry moving. Why would he want to keep it small? I got to get out there and advertise and do more. Yet in so doing, what did he do? He caused a hysteria, and the crowds came all the more seeking the healing of Jesus. And look, not just those seeking healing, but you know how crowds are. There were also people who just wanted to see the show. And what this man did, unfortunately, is he prematurely rushed things ahead of the Lord's timetable, and he bottlenecked the opportunity of Jesus to go into the cities to do ministry because of his response in the situation. And Jesus was hindered, in a sense, because of this man's lack of compliance. And look, I think it's a good reminder. We have to be careful at times when we think in our own judgment that we know the right way to handle something. We have our ideas on matters, and we think that our idea is better than what the Lord's directing us to do. That always gets into complicated situations. Let's remind ourselves, Jesus' way is always the best way. He really knows what he's doing. He does. He, he's purposely thinking about things when he gives instructions. <laughs> he's not just randomly giving us ideas. The Lord's plan has proper reasonings connected to it, and we should not think our plan is better. And sometimes we all become guilty of that error where we start to do our plan or do things the way that we think it should be done, and then what we do, it doesn't help. It ends up just causing hindrances. And I think this man is a great example of that. He, in a sense, began to do what he wanted to do, and really he somewhat ignored the instruction of Jesus. And he disregarded what our Lord told him to do. And we need to be careful of those kind of things, again, that we're never ignoring Jesus' instruction and thinking that that is somehow acceptable. Because ignoring Jesus' instruction, if we boil it down, is called disobedience. That's what it is. And sadly, this man, though he's very grateful, he still failed as it pertained to obeying Jesus' lordship, and not obeying Jesus' lordship is wrong. It's what we call sin. 
It's disobeying what the Lord has told us to do. And much like this man as Christians, though we may be very grateful that Jesus saved us, very grateful that Jesus cleansed us for our sin, sometimes we can be guilty of the same type of things, of not obeying what the Lord has told us to do, disregarding his instruction, his word, his command. And let's always remind ourselves, folks, any form of disobedience to Jesus is wrong. It's all wrong. It's not all just these big, obvious, grievous sins of that. Well, I don't do that stuff anymore. But look, any form of disobeying Jesus is wrong. It's sin. And when we realize that we've done that in any way, we need to humbly admit that, acknowledge it, and we need to come to Jesus. And we need to admit to Jesus our error and seek him for his forgiveness and the cleansing of our conscience. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Can I remind you, that's written to believers. To believers. That when we, like this man, realize, you know, I didn't follow Jesus' instruction in this. I didn't listen to the Lord in that. Or I'm justifying by my human reasoning or my feelings or emotions on a matter that I think I can behave like this or act like this or do this when we know it's completely contradictory to Jesus' word and the word of God. We need to stop justifying that and confess it and acknowledge it and say, Lord, it's wrong. And I'm thankful that you died on the cross for that. And I ask that you would cleanse my conscience and forgive me and, and, and Lord, make me right. Make me right between me and you. Let's bow our heads and pray together.